I thank you so much for your love, for your presence with us. Thank you, God, that you are indeed our firm foundation. That we are able to stand on your promise, on your life, on your love. God, we ask right now that you would uh, continue to be our hope, continue to be the one who draws us closer to you, draws closer to one another, draws closer to your world that desperately needs to hear of your saving power. So God, as we enter into this moment preaching, I pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would take this one word and divided in a few hundred ways so that every person in this room would know that you have been speaking to them because you have. You love us. You know us. You desire for us to live lives that are free of sin, free of shame, free of doubt and guilt. God, you desire for us to be in sweet communion with you so I pray that this word today will help us towards that end. Bless every person in this room, regardless of where they have come from and what they've come into this room carrying. I pray, God, that you would speak a word of life over them today. They might be free. We love you, Father. We give you our very lives. We pray all these things in the perfect name of your son, Jesus. And we say amen morning sanctuary you can be seated <laughs> my name is Edrin uh, senior pastor here at the sanctuary covenant church and I want to take a moment and just uh, welcome you all again into this worship service uh, the first Sunday in the month of September the greatest month of the year praise God me and Beyonce are preparing for our birthday on Wednesday um <laughs> Invitations are in the mail, don't worry. Uh, but I really do, I, I love this month, not just because it's the month of my birthday, but because it means college football is back. Uh, pray for me. I'm in the process of discipling my two daughters, a nine-year-old and a two-year-old, to leave the room when the college football is on. Um, pray for that discipleship process there, because uh, right now they do not get it. They do not get it. Uh, we are just incredibly grateful to have this time to be with you today in worship, uh, to share this word. Uh, you've heard throughout this service today a couple different invitations uh, to, uh, to, to be a part of one of our ministry teams. Um, and I say regularly that if you consider Sanctuary to be your church home, and if you currently are not serving on a team already, I want to invite you to get into the game. This is not a consumer experience. You did not pay a ticket price to come and watch professionals do their thing. We want to be a church where everybody is doing something. Amen. Amen. There are a couple of you who are serving on three or four teams. You should have been like standing up, high-fiving, saying amen in the name of Jesus. 
But we really do want to invite you to uh, join uh, one of our teams that are serving our young people, our children, or our youth, uh, serving on the hospitality team, uh, serving as a leader or a host as one of, of one of our life groups. Um, if, you're, if you're the kind of person who has a wonderful home space, but you don't necessarily want to facilitate a life group, we would love to have a group meet at your home and you can just do your hospitality thing while somebody else leads the group. There are a number of opportunities for, for all of us to get involved here in ministry this fall. And we hope that you will take full advantage of those opportunities as they come. Um, I also I shared last Sunday that last Saturday, a young man lost his life right outside of this building. And we spent some time last Sunday praying for that family. Uh, the young man's name was... Uh, Kirion Watkins. Kirion Watkins was his name. Um, and his mother, Miss Darlene, we were able to meet with her this week. Pastor Rose and I uh, met with her as well as his girlfriend. Uh, together they had three-month-old twins. And so the more we have learned about this family and about the circumstances surrounding Kirion's death, uh, the more our heart has been broken over and over again for a life that was cut short way too quickly. And so as a church, we've said this time and time again, we want to serve and love this community. And so we've had the opportunity this week to do that in a couple of different ways. And there will be more opportunities in the coming week, in the weeks ahead to serve that family. And so just be on the lookout for more information about how we can all continue to journey alongside that family. We're, we're starting a new series today that we're calling Selfie. And so when Tamia said we're, talk, we're having a sermon around selfies, she wasn't joking. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about selfies today. Uh, selfies as a way of talking about something else. Um, and so if you have Bibles, I want to invite you today to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 um, as we get ready to jump into God's Word together. The final announcement I have this morning is <clears throat> as a part of serving... And being present in this community, uh, we took part in an event earlier this summer called Flow. It was the Northside Arts Festival, <clears throat> and we had an incredible time. Many of you signed up as volunteers to serve. We hosted a stage, a concert stage out on our property, um, and hundreds of people came by that day, and we were able to share a little bit of who Sanctuary is and talk about our love for the community and our desire to serve in the community. Um, and when we announced that we would participate in Flow earlier in the summer, we actually said we would serve in two events. The second one is coming up in a few weeks. It's called Open Streets West Broadway. And so as a follow-up to what we started with Flow, we would like you to be a part of volunteering for Open Streets, which is going to happen on September 14th, which is about two Saturdays from now. Uh, we would love to have you sign up and be a part of that event. They're going to shut down the entire West Broadway, I believe all the way down to Penn Avenue, and there will be organizations representing uh, themselves and sharing with the community in a number of different ways. Sanctuary wants to be a part of uh, what I've been describing as representing ourselves to the community. Even this week as we spent time out on the block ministering to brothers and sisters who were mourning, many of them shared and asked the question, is this a church? Like they didn't know that we were a church. We have sort of a non-traditional design of the building, and that was intentionally done. And for many people, having never come into the door, they don't know that this is a church. 
And so these events like Open Streets and Flow are opportunities for us to present and represent ourselves to the community. We've been here since 2003 in this community, but many people do not yet know of Sanctuary's work. And so we would encourage you to come and join us as we take part in Open Streets and represent ourselves to the community. There'll be some stations for kids to play and do games and face painting. We'll have... uh, some community engagement questions where we want to ask the community what does health and wellness and and well-being look like for them, and we would love to have many of you come and join us to do that work. Several weeks ago, my wife Shaniqua and I uh, spent a few days in Miami on South Beach. We were preparing. Somebody said, all right, all right. (laughs) Oh, we were funny. We were preparing to go on a cruise with some friends of ours, and we wanted to just do a little pre-vacation R&R, rest and relaxation, Um, and and I just wanted to spend some time there with my boo thing. So, um, (laughs) so, so we, come on now, come on, come on, deposit in the bank, in the bank, in the bank. I'd seen some lovely pictures of South Beach. I'd flown into Miami before, but had never spent much time in Miami. And so this was my first time on South Beach. And I thought it would be cool to just be there for a few days before we got onto the cruise ship. And so we did. And on that first day together there on South Beach, we, we got there. We grabbed some lunch at a, at a street side cafe. We slept through an afternoon thunderstorm that all of us who grew up in the South and Southeast know about. It happens almost every day in the, in the summer. And then around 4 p.m. that day, we hit the beach. And I was excited. I love the beach. I love being close to the ocean, the sound of it, the look of it, the power of it, all of it. I I just love it. And so I was very excited to be at the beach that day. And sitting there, we were getting settled in, and my people-watching senses just took over. I just could not help myself. The people are so interesting, and South Beach is an incredible place to do some people-watching. The beach wasn't as crowded as I expected it that day. There weren't many people at all in the water. But I noticed a lot, and I do mean a lot of people, over and over again, walking towards the beach, turning their backs to the ocean, and doing this. Time and time again. Over and over again, selfie after selfie. There was a young man. He had to be about 19 or 20 or so, not much more than that. I watched him come sort of hastily walking towards the ocean. He had stuff in his arms, dropped everything, and immediately began to take selfie after selfie after selfie. And he would take a selfie, and he would look at it, and he would shake his head, and he would take another selfie, and he would look at it, and he'd shake his head, and he'd take another one, and it never met his approval. And he would just kept going and going and going. And finally, he took one, and he looked at it. He sort of smiled. He picked up his stuff and walked off of the beach. This brother never touched the water. He never sat down next to the shore. He never even walked along the water. He came, he selfied, and he left. Now, if you're here, You don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about selfies. Selfies are a particular kind of self-portrait. It's a photo often taken with a smartphone and posted to social media like Facebook and Instagram and some other popular internet platforms. Self-portraits themselves are not new. In fact, people have been trying to draw pictures and represent themselves for as long as humanity has been around. 
But this modern expression, this digital self-portrait that we call selfies, this thing is taking on a life of its own. In the early 2000s, the term selfie uh, began to be broadly used, and in, in 2013, the word selfie was actually added to the Oxford English Dictionary. That same year, the term selfie became Oxford Dictionary's word of the year. And these days, it seems impossible to go anywhere, do anything for any amount of time, and not see somebody taking a selfie. There are church selfies. There are delivery room selfies. There are award show selfies. There are presidential ride-along selfies. There are bathroom selfies. I found out this week there are crime scene selfies. There are courtroom selfies. There are jailhouse and prison selfies. Am I the only one who has a relative who sends them selfies from the inside? (laughs) We're going to act like, okay. (laughs) There are even animal selfies. Usually, when we talk about technology, We hammer young folks. We talk about how young people are allowing technology to ruin their lives and they're ruining society at the same time. But I believe the selfie is unique because when it comes to selfie, I've seen 50 and 60 and 70-year-olds who enjoy taking selfies as much as 15, 16, and 17-year-olds. Brothers and sisters, you haven't really experienced a good selfie until you've taken one at the cookout with your uncle's flip phone. Come on, nephew. Get in here, nephew. Come on now. Come on, nephew. Am I the only one? Just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, some engineer in 2014 said, my arm is not good enough to take a selfie. And he went into, he or she went into a space and created what we know now as the selfie stick. Lord, help us. In 2014, the selfie stick became the most popular holiday shopping gift. It has been called by some people the narcissistic. Get it? Narcissistic. And the selfie stick became both a game changer and a public nuisance that led to moments like this one. Take a look at the screen. I'm tempted to just continue to show videos like that one of that guy attempting to rid the world of selfie sticks. But as fun as that is, I want to invite us to go a little bit deeper today. 
I want us to consider that this phenomenon that we call selfies actually says something much different about us. It actually offers us some really meaningful insight into who we are and what we believe about ourselves. I believe that even if all the selfies and all the selfie sticks went away, and I pray that all the selfie sticks have gone away, if you still own your selfie stick, you can bring it next Sunday and lay it here on the altar. We will dispose of it for you. But even if we snapped our fingers like Thanos and all the selfies and all the selfie sticks went away, I think we would simply come up with something else as a people. I believe we live in a selfie world. And our hearts, apart from the Holy Spirit, are selfie hearts. Somebody said, Pastor E, you got serious really quick. I believe there's something in our hearts that tempts us and tells us that we have to curate these public images that are often far removed from who we really are and what we're really doing and how we're really feeling. And because we live, because we live in a selfie world and we have selfie hearts, we are tempted to filter the details of our lives. We are tempted to crop out all the ugly stuff in our relationships. We are tempted to fade in color and saturate our true feelings. And we can get so busy editing and editing and editing that we even ourselves are confused about the difference between who we are and who we're trying to make the world believe we are. Now, that's problematic in society, but it's even more detrimental when it becomes the MO of the church. If there's anything that can get in the way of us here at Sanctuary becoming the kind of loving and caring and connected and compassionate church that God calls us to be, it is that subtle lie that we all believe at times that we have to wear some mask for people. You see, that's the dark side of selfie culture. Often it's about trying to make ourselves appear to be something that people can love and respect. It's about crafting this highlight reel so they'll appreciate us and respect us. It's about looking like we're living our best life now, even in those moments when everything is falling apart. The sanctuary, if we're going to grow in faith with one another, we've got to know one another. If we're going to bless one another, we've got to learn to keep it real with one another. And I'm talking about really real. And if we're going to join hands in serving this community, we need to take off the mask and trust one another with our true realities. If we're going to be all that God has called us to be, God's going to have to deliver us from this selfie spirit because God can't heal who you're pretending to be. So our text today suggests that what lies at the heart of this selfie spirit is not actually something new. For as long as Jesus' people have gathered in communities of worship and service, it seems that this has been a real challenge. And so our text today and, and the scope of our series, uh, we will look together at a group of Christians in a city called Corinth who were challenged by a need to understand the gospel and live it out with honesty and with grace. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. If you don't have your Bible, if you left it, if you have an Android and you can't really see it. It's been a while since I did an Android joke, so I had to. Just making sure you were paying attention. It's going to appear on the screen as well. And here's what the Word of God says. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Verse 6, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but rely on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in any answer to the prayers of many. Amen. The Apostle Paul is seen as one of the pillars of the Christian church. Paul is credited with shaping much of what we know about the early church. Those of you who grew up in Sunday school and in VBS, Vacation Bible School, know that there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And of those 27 books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is credited with writing as many as 13 of those books. You see, it's hard to overstate just how significant the Apostle Paul is to what we know and how we function as followers of Jesus. These 13 books that Paul wrote are more accurately described as 13 letters. These are letters written by Paul, an apostle and a church planner, back to the believers in different cities where he had established churches along his travels. One of the cities where Paul ministered and established a church was a city called Corinth, which is a part of modern-day Greece. So important was Corinth to the growth of the early church that Paul dedicates two letters that become a part of the New Testament. And two of those letters are written to the believers gathered there in Corinth. Paul's engagement with the believers there in Corinth is very significant in every sense of the word. What we know for sure is that through a series of letters and visits, Paul establishes a church in the city, he nourishes the spread of the faith in that region, and he helps to connect these young brothers and sisters to God's work that was also taking root and growing in other parts of the ancient world. In leading up to writing 2 Corinthians, Paul finds himself in a challenging situation. He had preached there. He had established a church there in a city that was right for the gospel. And as he often did, Paul left to minister and establish churches in other cities, leaving behind the leaders he had established there, but also sending others to encourage and support this young church. But after some time, Paul heard some troubling, some troubling news about troubling behavior happening in the church at Corinth. And he realized that the believers there in that city had begun to slip away from what he had taught them. 
And they needed to be reminded of the truth about Jesus that he had shared while he was there with them. While some of them at this point were questioning whether Paul was actually an apostle at all, his authority was pretty much intact when he wrote 1 Corinthians. His, His lifestyle was not under attack. And so when you read the book of 1 Corinthians, much of what Paul talks about are other behavioral issues and doctrinal issues. But somewhere between the time where Paul writes 1 Corinthians and the time where he writes what becomes 2 Corinthians, Paul finds himself in trouble. A group of opponents, false teachers, had risen up and began to call Paul's, uh, his authority into question. We'll talk about in the weeks to come about what the specific claims were, but in essence, his opponents were saying that Paul could not be an actual apostle. He could not be the the one that God had called to lead this church and, and, and to oversee this church because Paul's life was not impressive enough. They said Paul wasn't eloquent enough. He wasn't a good speaker. They said he suffered too much. They looked at the trouble in his life and said, if God is with him, why is he struggling? They said, certainly God wouldn't choose him. Look at all the issues in his life. He keeps running into trouble. How can he lead us? He can't even lead himself. Paul finds himself at one point at odds with the vast majority of believers in this city. And through a series of difficult letters and painful visits, Paul slowly begins to regain the trust of the majority of the believers in Corinth. So he comes to the point of writing 2 Corinthians. Paul is in a better place, but he's still in a bit of trouble. His leadership pedigree is still being questioned. His reputation is still under under question by some within the community. And these opponents, although they had lost much of their support, these false teachers had not given up on this plot to make Paul look like a bad leader. So Paul writes a letter with all this stirring around, and I wonder what kind of response he offers. Paul would have been justified in this moment to go full selfie mode. None of us would have blamed Paul if he had hired a PR firm to represent him. We we would have understood if Paul had fired off a letter where he spent all his time telling us how awesome he is in order to refute what the opponents were saying about him. You you expect Paul to, to write and say how strong he is because they're saying how weak he is. You You expect him to write and say how accomplished he is because they're saying he hasn't really done much. You expect him to write and say how awesome he is and how significant his ministry has been, but Paul does not do this. Paul doesn't run from his trouble. Paul doesn't hide his trouble. Paul doesn't explain his troubles away. Paul doesn't put his best foot forward. Paul keeps it real. Paul acknowledges his trouble at the time when it would have made sense for him to respond differently. And in doing so, Paul helps the believers there at Corinth and you and I today to see Jesus more clearly. Paul says, my opponents have said about me that I am weak and I have trouble. And you know what? They are right. You see, these false teachers had a wrong view of Paul because they had a wrong view of Jesus. They missed the essence of who Paul was, because they also missed the essence of who Jesus is. 
and as a way of helping them see Jesus rightly, Paul writes 2 Corinthians. And this morning, I want to lift up three simple truths that help us find Jesus in the same way that Paul helped these folks find Jesus as well. And the first truth is a very simple one, simply this, that as disciples, we will have troubles. As disciples of Jesus, we will have trouble. Paul says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Paul's critics pointed to his troubles as a sign that God was not with him. In their estimation, if, if you have a relationship with God, it suggests that you would be trouble-free. But throughout this letter, and especially here in this opening greeting, Paul challenges that wrong teaching and reminds us that loving God does not exclude us from having trouble. Paul reminds us very simply, and I believe I can get some witnesses in the room, that we can love God and still struggle to love God's children. Paul reminds us, all the amens, Paul, Paul, Paul reminds us that you can love God and still find sickness in your body. You can love God and still struggle with issues of identity and purpose. Brothers and sisters, our world is very different than the world that Paul knew. And our church is very different than the churches that Paul helped to start. But I believe we are challenged here at Sanctuary in the same way to remember that following Jesus does not guarantee an easy go. In fact, in John 10 and 10, Jesus says himself very clearly, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might have trouble. He didn't say there's a slight chance that trouble could show up someday. Jesus says very clearly, in this world, we will have trouble. And because we all have trouble, I want to challenge our church to grow to be a place where we can stop hiding our troubles from one another. Because the Scriptures teach that we will have trouble, we should know with certainty that our troubles don't define us and they don't disqualify us from the love of God. So rather than putting on face to look good to one another, you all do look good this morning. I want us to begin to be real with one another. I want us to begin to pray for one another. And I want us to begin to care well for one another, knowing that as disciples of Jesus, we will have trouble. Paul says, as disciples of Jesus, we'll have trouble. But Paul goes on to say that God is with us in our trouble, and God comforts us in all our troubles. When I read that, I feel very Baptist this morning. Paul didn't simply give us the bad news that we will have trouble. Paul delivers the good news of the gospel that God is also with us in our troubles and God comforts us in our troubles. Here's what Paul says, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. He is with us in our trouble. Paul speaks to the Corinthians, and the truth of his words ring out for us today as well. Following Jesus doesn't mean that you won't have trouble, but he goes on to say, in your trouble, don't despise your trouble. 
Don't hide your trouble. Don't ignore your trouble. Don't try to explain them away. In fact, Paul challenges challenges us to go farther, and he says that there is a point in our spiritual maturity where we actually learn to rejoice in our troubles. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For this reason, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I I, I find joy in hardships. I find joy in persecution. I find joy in my difficulties. You might be sitting there this morning and you're wondering, how exactly does one get to a place of finding joy in trouble? Paul reminds us right here in our text, you don't have to go to seminary to get this one. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we can rejoice in our troubles because although our troubles are many, God is with us in our troubles. Paul speaks here as one who knows intimately about God. Paul Paul is not speaking about something that he heard. He's not speaking about something that someone whispered as they walked by him. Paul is speaking from his experience that when we are in trouble, God is with us. Paul uses some names for God that tells us that Paul knows who God is. Paul calls him the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to call him the Father of compassion. He says that compassion actually begins with this God. And then he goes on to call him the God of all comfort, that every bit of our comfort comes from God. Brothers and sisters, Paul is convinced that God is good. Paul is certain that God's character is compassion. Paul is confident that all of our comfort comes from this God who loves us with an everlasting love. Paul says that because I know this about God, I know that in my times of trouble, God is right here with me. I wish I was at a missionary Baptist church this morning. And I could ask somebody, is there anybody in this room who's ever been in a situation where you know the situation is too much for you to handle? You had practically given up. Paul says, I thought this was my death decree. I thought this was the sentence of death. I was over my head. I could not think myself through this. I could not call on my connections to get me out of it. I could not pay my way out of this situation. But God was right here with me in my trouble. I rejoice in my troubles because God is with me in my troubles. God is not just with me in my troubles. God comforts me in my troubles. Paul says, in our troubles, there is a blessed assurance. There is an assurance, a promise that these troubled times won't last always. There is a vision, even in our troubles, of a future glory that will far outweigh the, the problems of this moment. Paul says, whether in this life or in the life to come, every single trouble that I face in my life will have to bow to the power of Jesus. Paul reminds us that sickness and disease will have to bow. Paul reminds us that hurt and anger will have to bow. Paul reminds us that power and privilege will have to bow. Paul says even the great enemy of death, hell, and the grave will have to bow to the power of Jesus. So I don't worry about my troubles. I'm not hiding from my troubles. In fact, I'm rejoicing in my trouble. I've learned to do it because God is with me in my troubles. 
God comforts us in our troubles. Last night I was sitting at the kitchen table putting the, what I hope are the finishing touches on this message. And my wife and my daughters were there in the living room uh, talking and, 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 and having fun. And I had to get up and walk outside because I had been sitting at that table for about five minutes just crying, thinking about the ways over the course of my life when I found myself in trouble and God was with me in my troubles. Listen, I don't know how you all can sit there so sophisticated and quiet, but I've been through some things in my life, and I don't believe I'm alone in this room. I've been through some things in my life where if it were not for the grace of God, I would not have made it. And, and, and so I walked outside last night, and I sat on those back steps, and I cried a little bit, remembering that in my troubles, in every situation, no matter how lost I felt, when I needed God most, God stepped into the situation. Paul says, God is with us in our troubles. God comforts us in our troubles. There's one more reminder I want to share before we move into communion. God is as a follower of Jesus, there will be troubles. God is with us in our troubles, and he comforts us in our troubles. But the third truth that Paul gives us in this greeting is that the comfort we receive is so that we might comfort others. God's going to comfort your troubles. But it's not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for others. Help me preach this thing to me. Paul reminds the Corinthians, and I believe he speaks to us through time today, to remember that the comfort we receive is not to be kept to ourselves. A few years ago, I, I somehow fell in love with a weird show, I believe it was on AMC, called Hoarders. If you ever need motivation to get up and clean your house, <laughs> tune into an episode of Hoarders. Hoarding disorder is when someone has a hard time even at the idea of passing something on or getting rid of a possession, letting go or separating for some stuff. And so when people suffer from, from, from hoarding disorder, they hold on to everything. And you look at the house and after a little while, there's, there's, there's mail everywhere and there's newspaper everywhere and there, there, there are plastic grocery bags everywhere. There's no food in the refrigerator because there's actually stuff stored in the refrigerator. I saw one episode, I didn't make this up, that they, they, they started to move some stuff out of the house and there were like cat carcasses under the stuff. Because this lady had been a cat lady, and, and, and the stuff had gotten the, the best of her, and her cats had all died under the weight of her hoarding. Listen, I'm not making this up. Come to the house. We can look at it together, and then you can help me clean up. But here's, here's why I mention this. Because what happens for hoarders in the physical realm can also happen for us in the spiritual realm. That for some of us, our spiritual reality is this constantly hands open, God bless me for me. And we're just holding on to everything that God blesses us with. But Paul speaks to us this morning and say that the comfort, the blessings you receive are actually not for you. 
Paul doesn't use this language, but Paul is calling us to be wounded healers. A wounded healer is someone who acknowledges first that they themselves are broken, and they do the work of beginning to deal with their brokenness, to begin to heal, to allow God to come into their life and to get the help they need to begin to heal themselves. And while they are being healed from their own brokenness, they decide to use their brokenness to help somebody else find healing as well. As we heal, we're called to also help others heal. We are called to be, brothers and sisters, in this season here at Sanctuary, wounded healers. Here's how Henry Nouwen describes what a a wounded healer is. He says, nobody escapes being wounded. We are all wounded people, physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? And when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, then we have become wounded healers. God uses the troubles we face in our life to shape us and to mature us. I don't believe God causes our troubles, but God will use the experience of trouble in our life to grow us and form us into the men and women he's called us to be. But that's not all. God also uses those troubles to equip us so that we can be of service to others. Sanctuary, God is calling us to be a community of wounded healers. And if we say yes to this call to be wounded healers, I want you to know today that it puts us in good company. Isaiah, the prophet, writes in Isaiah 53 that there was another who was the ultimate wounded healer. Do you know who I'm talking about? Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that gave us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Do you know who I'm talking about? My grandmother said this wounded healer was, the, was Mary's baby. He was the lily of the valley. He was the bright and morning star. This wounded healer, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He taught us how to love one another. This wounded healer one Friday went to a cross at Calvary. He hung there and died on that cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb. He stayed there on Friday night. This wounded healer stayed there all day on Saturday and all night on Saturday night. Do you know who I'm talking about? The old preacher says early on Sunday morning. Early on Sunday morning. This wounded healer got up out of the grave with all power in his hand. This wounded healer, because he lives, because he lives, you and I don't have to live in fear. Because this wounded healer lives, you and I can face tomorrow. Because this wounded healer lives, you and I can go on and be a wounded healer ourselves. Do you know who I'm talking about? This wounded healer, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And because of Jesus, you and I can face all our troubles. Brothers and sisters, today I want to challenge us. And all through this series, I will challenge us. We don't have time to put on masks for each other. We don't have time to give each other the selfies version of us. We've got to be real with one another because God is calling us to be wounded healers. 
And if you will be real with your troubles, God will heal your trouble and use you to comfort somebody else's trouble. Do you believe that today, Sanctuary? Do you believe that today? If you believe that today, can I ask you to stand on your feet? Can you put your hands together and thank God for calling us to be wounded healers? By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are comforted. By his stripes, we can run on a little longer. By his stripes, we don't have to fake the funk with anybody. Because of his stripes, because of God's faithfulness, you and I are called to be wounded healers. Lord Jesus, thank you today that you have called us. You've called us to be your children. and You've promised that you would be our God. So Lord, today we ask for a fresh chance to just be our real selves before you and before one another. God, we're tired of pretending. We're tired of pretending that we've got it all together. God, we ask that we would begin to just be honest with one another, to share our struggles with one another so that we might walk with one another in the way you've called us to. God, I pray for a brother or a sister in this room who came to church today struggling. They didn't even think they were going to make it. Perhaps they're even, they, they even came today suicidal. God, I pray that you would meet them in that darkness right now. Surround them with brothers and sisters in this room and in this church who will walk with them who will be strong for them when they can't be strong. Father, the brother or sister to our left and our right is someone who needs you. Father, we all need you. So thank you for this chance today to throw off the mask, to let go of all the pretense, to be the people you have called us to be. Heal us, Lord. Allow us to join you in the work of healing others. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.